All right, guys, welcome back for another podcast. Today, it's another Tuesdays with Caroline. Welcome to the podcast. It's like it's time to just push the button because yeah. something silly or useful <laughs> yeah, is about yeah. to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> guys, just uh, bear with us here for a second. So, usually when we get started on these podcasts, we got to ramble off to get the juices flowing. Uh, so, we're going to actually uh, chop in right here some precast content. So, uh, here we go. <laughs> you know, at least for me, from a perspective looking at failing forward, um, I think when we look at the solutions that we you know, have kind of made in the last few years, it's like, ah, if you would have just done this, like if you would have just listened, if you would have just done blank, then this wouldn't have happened that particular way. Um, like as, and I can bring up this example, but as an example, um, uh, you know, one of the doctors, uh, basically had to, uh, take stones out of the bladder and the urethra, but, um, you know, failed to take post-operative x-rays and the patient had recovered from anesthesia. And I basically harped on him. I was like, you have got to take post-op x-rays in these patients. Um, and there was still a stone left in the urethra. So we just, you know, took it back, took the patient back to surgery, got it handled. That was the end of it. It was no additional expense to the people because it should have been part of the original procedure. Um, yeah. And just recently, <laughs> then come to find out, uh, doctors... Uh, friend, uh, actually, um, had a case come into their clinic where, um, you know, they had essentially done the same thing where the case was transferred into them. They didn't take, they were just told the patient had um, stones in the urethra, but they had all been pushed into the bladder, but no one had ever rechecked a x-ray at any point in time, had redone or had done the surgery, discharged the patient home, and then two weeks later, it developed the urethral obstruction because there were stones in the urethra. And now that, veter uh. that veterinarian is now under state review because the person went to the board and was like, well, this is kind of bullshit. But when you look at the, yeah. at the fine detail of that circumstance, um, it was pretty apparent that the first surgery was a cash grab. So it was like, oh, oh, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I'll do surgery for you. They won't do surgery for you. I'll do it for you. Yep, we'll just do it. No problem. Yep, no problem. So then, it, you know, like the, the main difference is in our circumstance, we're like, oh, steak was made. Stone was left in. We're going to go take that stone out. It's not going to be any additional expense to you. Um, yeah. As an alternative, this other case was stone was left in. It's like, well, that's not my responsibility. Yeah. Well, you told me that all the stones were in the urinary bladder. I just had to go take them out of the bladder. So that's not my fault. Hmm. And it's like, but it's as soon as you get this case, as soon as it is your case, right. it's all it's your, your job to serve the patient. Right. <laughs> like yeah. there should at least be a notation. So I think this is one example. We probably could have just fucking recorded that. Um, I am. Okay. So yeah, so that's fine. I mean, just plop it in the middle of the conversation, yeah, yeah, which we can do it again. But again, all I'm saying is like, you know, I think if we have that, that's like I said, I, I, one thing of failing forward is it's like, so when our doctor then tried to talk to this veterinarian and be like, Hey man, like you got to take post-op x-rays. Like you're, you're not going to win this case at state board. Like you failed informed consent. You failed minimum standard of care. Um, the other vet bitched him out. <laughs> just started, just, just started yelling at him. Like, how dare you talk to me that oh. way? That's effective. Oh. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. So the idea of failing forward, 
right? Yeah. Is saying that we have, yeah. we have the opportunity where failure is going to exist, but you have to learn from that failure and essentially move yourself forward, but also move your servitude of the patient forward. You know, where it's, yeah. if you can, if it's not that mistakes aren't going to be made, it's that when they are made, you do right by the patient, you do right by the caregiver. And then essentially you learn from that mistake and not do it again. Well, isn't, yeah. I would say even to like make it a little bit more about some of the concepts that we've been reiterating for however many hours we've been doing this is that the, you you're going to make mistakes the idea is to mitigate them or to to limit the ex, the three expenses uh, sure because you could probably yeah. correlate all of the, like for the one that we had made the error on yeah there's you know we're trying to limit you do the post-op x-rays yeah. to limit patient expense yeah but then you need to make the error on that well then you're also going to mitigate financial expense you're yeah, not exactly. going to just amplify both yeah right because you made a mistake right you have to try and keep the the, yeah. the total cost to a minimum yeah because the first procedure still needed to get done right yeah so i think that's where when we start to look at um, how sometimes these cases go where it's like, you guys did wrong and you got, yeah, I want all my money back. You know, all these types of things. It's like, well, I mean, I definitely agree that some compensation is uh, warranted uh, because again, the original procedure was necessary and it was needed. Um, there was a, a error and that error then dictated additional cost. Right. So for me, it's like if, you know, the first surgery was a thousand dollars and then all of the expense thereafter was then another $3,000 of incurred expenses um then really it's no you pay me a thousand i pay you three mm -hmm. you know like there's it's it's still then going to be a net of two thousand because that original procedure needed to be done right it wasn't you know the whole whole kit and caboodle all that's given back it's like no the, everything after that of course is going to be covered um but yeah so it's it's you know like you say but do you, do you have an example in mind for yourself caroline Ugh. That's what I'm like kind of struggling with because I mean, I definitely have situations where I've fucked up and wished that I had handled things differently. Most of them are large animal related mm -hmm. and I'm trying to think of like how, how I'm going to relate them. But cause like the one, well, the one that I thought of first was it was the time that I went out to dehorn um a pet goat for somebody some goat kids and we try to do it when they're really young and they're it's pretty difficult to to dehorn goat kids like um you have to do it age is a factor and even if you do it totally right a lot of times or i guess a significant number of times like their horns still grow back mm -hmm. And goats are also super sensitive to sedation and stuff. And so one of the very first times that I tried sedating goats for dehorning, um, I sedated the goat and it was like a limp noodle and I panicked and over reversed the kid mm -hmm. and he popped right up, like looked great, did the dehorning, whatever, left the farm and he died. Mm. And I figured out later through like, look like reanalyzing my treatment, basically that like, if you over reverse them, you can basically give them a heart attack. Mm. And so he likely died from my reversing him so aggressively. And the owner, like I talked to him after the fact, because they called obviously to tell me that the goat kid had died and we talked on the phone. And at the time I didn't really understand what had happened. I just knew that 
goat kids were very susceptible to sedation. And I said, it's probably something due to the anesthesia, like it's an anesthesia related death. And like, I obviously hadn't done a very good job of like discussing all the risks ahead of time. Oh, but with a lack of a lack of informed consent. Right. So, I mean, I tried to explain it after the fact and, you know, I apologized for like that fact that it had happened, but I basically chalked it up to an, an anesthetic related death. And then later figured out that like, no, it was a direct, like it was directly a result of like me over reversing him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it ended up like the caregivers were, they were upset obviously, but like I went back out there and did other work for them and like we had a decent relationship. Like I was terrified to go back. I was like, these people are never going to want me on their farm again. Cause I killed their goat and whatever. But um, I mean, basically we just, they were like terrified of anesthesia after that. And so we just never sedated any of the goats for any procedures that like as much as we, we, we never had to, so it wasn't ever an issue, but yeah. So I don't know, but I don't know how that relates to like what we're talking about. I don't like, I learned something from it. which is Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the idea. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's the idea. I mean, talking in the extreme of, you know, certainly anesthetic death, you know, I mean, like you said, goat kids, it's much different, you know, small animal medicine will often talk about anesthetic risk is like one in 10,000. So it's really, really uncommon. Yeah. Um, And even for us, um, you know, the, the true complication rate, I mean, I, I, can't even remember the last time because we, we monitor them so closely, but you know, it's, it's just a different setting in the large animal world when it's on the farm in a pen, you know, uh, in those types of things. Um, but I think it definitely relates to fail forward. Cause I think, you know, accidental death is obviously sort of like worst case scenario for us as doctors, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the other uh, conversations I had with one of our other doctors, Kenny, uh, actually just yesterday um, was I'm, I've really been working hard with him on the justification for establishing informed consent. Like he understands that he needs to establish informed consent. Like, because I tell him all the time, you need to establish informed <laughs> consent. Um, and I just beat it into him with a hammer, like establish informed yeah. consent. Um, but I think as he, he's been forcibly put into a circumstance where he's needed to establish informed consent, he's actually starting to see like, oh, wow, like I actually have one less negative uh, interactions with caregivers because they're well informed of all the potential risks that yeah. we have for this. Um, right. you know, and also he's like, it actually boosts my confidence to be able to practice medicine because I have sort of mitigated the risk by me making a decision on what needs to happen. You know, it's right. not, it's not just like, well, this is the one thing we're going to do in your goat kids because that's what I do in every goat kid. You know, it's like, yeah. that's, that's, that's not the conversation for you, the failing right. forward is, yeah, I learned from it. And that's why I said, I think death is kind of one of those like extreme circumstances for us where it's like, that is worst case scenario. Um, but it is yeah. a very much a bootstrap situation, you know, where it's like, you got to pick yourself up and get your ass back out to that farm. And you're going to continue to do work for these people as long as you're honest with them. And I think yeah. that's the times in which I've had to either consult on case board review, or I've had my own case board review is that's pretty much what it all boils down to is just maintain absolute honesty at all time. Even if there was a mistake, like it is 
yeah. infinitely more worse if you try to hide a mistake, yeah. you know, because yeah. uh, that actually in of itself is extreme unaccountable behavior, um, you know, right. first of all. But I mean, there's uh, there's character that comes involved with covering up mistakes, ethics that come involved with covering up mistakes. So it's once the mistake has happened, just try to come to some reasonable term. And the reasonable term yeah. may be you never do work for those people ever again. That may be reasonable yeah. and that is sort of unfortunate. But the reality is that you're actually going to be able to serve more patients better in the future, even though right. you had a negative interaction with these people. Yeah. You know, so right. it's, I think, you know, if we look at sort of how we're sort of positioning ourselves with the sort of new industry, so to speak, is that we should not be pulling our self-worth and sort of our, you know, individual purpose from the reaction we get out of people. And that should be both on the positive side and the negative side. We should be gaining our self-worth by our servitude to the patient. So our ability to serve patients is where we should be gaining sort of our individual fulfillment not whether or not the people are happy or mad mm -hmm. because if we're trying to yeah. establish our self-worth on someone else's reaction we're never going to be fulfilled because you can't control what the other person is going to react i'm yeah. not saying and that's something yeah that's something that i struggle with a lot yes is like being a people pleaser and yes i want everything to be hunky-dory and it it just isn't always yes. uh, I, I, I think the fail forward on that, truthfully, is that's where I was very early on in my career. It was it was a kumbaya. It was, look, I'm a doctor. I'm here to help. I'm here for your family, this and this, and I'm going to pour my heart out, and I'm going to do all these things. I mean, you and Janessa jokingly call me a robot, but it's like, you know, I have gotten to the point over the years where it's like, I really stopped defining my own self-worth by the interaction of humans. I mean, yeah. we, we all make the joke that, yeah. oh, I'm, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a human doctor because, you know, I don't want to deal with humans. I like to deal with animals. You know, it's just like, well, all right, well, let's kind of lean into that a little bit. You know, I'm not yeah. saying intentionally go out of your way to kind of be a, you know, an ass to clients, you know, but <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying yeah, like, we do yeah. want, we do want to have people maintain positive experiences, but we're going to main that maintain positive experiences by serving the patient. Right. So it's, yeah. we stop trying to pull our sort of purpose, our well-being, our fulfillment out of making people happy. And we do it by serving patients. And if that means that unfortunately a patient dies and we learn from that patient, then how many other kids after that have you lost anesthesia? None. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you had yeah. put your blinders on and you were like, well, that was a weird thing, but I'm going to do this and all the rest of the kids that I dehorn moving forward and you just can continue yeah. to put them in the ground it's like okay well you're not failing forward you're just failing right yeah proving it yeah you have not learned so yeah that's again i think death is the extreme but um you right. know i think the the reasonable compromise is that you know we're not pulling fulfillment from our interactions with humans it's actually our servitude of the patient yeah and we're back. Okay. All right. So now we're back on track yes. that we're actually into the podcast itself. Um, but yeah. Uh, so we walked into today's uh, podcast with the intention of just discussing what is this concept that we've kicked around a number of times. We've mentioned it. Uh, we say it uh, basically every time somebody makes a mistake yeah. in our own clinic, it's like, all right, we acknowledge the fact that everyone's going to make mistakes. We yeah. acknowledge that we're all going to fail. How do we use that to fail forward? I'm 99% sure that it's a book. 
Yeah, so sure. First I'm off, sure. I'll, yeah. I'll link the book. Yeah. I have not read the book myself, yeah. but it's it's a pretty basic concept, right? Of like you, you yeah. just acknowledge the fact that you're going to make error, and in the event that you do, just improve from it so that it doesn't happen again, or yeah. at least to the extent in which the error happened again. So for yeah. uh, medicine, you know, it's something that I think a lot of uh, doctors are afraid of. Number yeah, one, yeah. Oh, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, but hierarchical were like forced. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah I, I think that it's it's not just because we're afraid of making a mistake or, um, you know, p- uh, uh, potentially an animal, a patient dying or something like that. It's that legitimately we have been brought up in education system where we weren't allowed to fail comfortably. Yeah, as it was typically, it's what we always say is that failure in our organization and our philosophy is that failure is met with a uh, opportunity for growth an opportunity to teach an opportunity to learn it's an education system it's an education mistake uh but when you're in a reprimand system when you're you know we have an education system when you're in a reprimand system you halt learning uh now I, i shouldn't say you can't learn in a reprimand system because you can learn in a reprimand-based system, uh, but it's it's much slower and it hurts a lot more. Yeah, that's the the difference between um, consequence and forgiveness and how you sure. can have them both at the same time. But in a reprimand system, you forget about the forgiveness part and it's all consequence, consequence. all the time. Oh, okay, sure. Um, so it, and when we had talked about the forgiveness model and, yeah, and one of back. our... Uh, going to be one of our make an impact videos is going to be sure. really about how forgiveness is the ultimate path to accountability. Well, this is why yeah. forgiveness allows you the, the communication to say, okay, you made a mistake. Like here's the consequence of that mistake. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do moving forward is this, like yeah. I forgive you. Everyone yeah. makes mistakes. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, set the boundaries. Did, did yeah. you have, did you have poor intent when you made this mistake? Most of the time, the answer is going to be no. Uh, right. I, I, I think especially in our industry, uh, it is a, it is a, it is fine to say it's a rule of thumb that everyone walks into a veterinary practice with good intent. Um, yes, on both sides of the door. On both sides of the door, absolutely. Yes, yep. Yeah. Um, however, so we take that, and it, let's say you take it for granted. We just have good intent. So with that, forgiveness becomes much simpler yeah. because that makes every mistake a genuine mistake. Right. And with that, okay, mm-hmm. I forgive you. Here's what you do moving forward, and then you reset the accountable terms. You reset the essentially the 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 consequence, but as well sure. as the the failure tolerance within it. Yeah. And that's how you grow you can leave the mistake in the past and then focus forward however in a highly hierarchical organization with the removal of forgiveness Mm -hmm. you're constantly looking backwards you're basically just like walking backwards as you're continuing to not look where you're going and just continuing to make mistakes and just seeing them as you're uh continuing your path um forward down the path walking backwards sure yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it and it's completely unproductive so uh it, it, and the other thing that reinforces that as well is the legal system uh which definitely exists for a reason i don't absolutely i don't think the malpractice system uh in in the way that that is handled is um unnecessary what by any means however um the the financial impact 
that could be realized in the event that you make a mistake, it can be very substantial um, on on, an, on a one-time basis, but as well as an ongoing basis. I have no idea how much malpractice insurance costs as a veterinarian, but uh, I'm sure it's not, not cheap. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of Not thing- as much as a human doctor. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So there, it, it, really, the idea again, like let's let's fail forward. Let's acknowledge the fact that we're going to make mistakes. Um, well, yeah, no, and I think even on that, uh, uh, obviously, yes, acknowledge that we're making mistakes. But I think what is so significantly different to look at malpractice on the human side than it is on the veterinary side is that on the human side, from a malpractice standpoint, you have both the emotional and the financial impact. Um, so you're talking relatively substantially high claims yeah. uh, for malpractice right. on, on the on the human side. Um, but on the veterinary side, you know, for us, we don't have, uh, you know, the emotional loss component. We don't have, uh, you know, for us, it's only ever, quote unquote, the worth of the patient because animals are, quote unquote, legal yeah. property. Yep. It's just, I think that's the, where the disproportionate part comes in is that for us, because the financial impact is very low in malpractice, the emotional impact is very high. Yeah. So more yeah. more often than not, when there's ever the discussion of malpractice, um, I don't know that I've seen too many where people were scoffing at necessarily they're going to have a $1,500 or $3,000 malpractice suit. It's like... No, it's like, oh my God, I have to go through this and be held accountable to the standard of having actually committed malpractice. And now, right. now there's a legal entity saying that I have malpractice. And now there's the state board saying that I have malpractice. And it's all these other things that actually aren't financial, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yep. that's where I think, again, when you kind of look at those two sides, it's like, yeah, our malpractice insurance isn't much, but our therapy bill is. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, you know, that, that's, that's kind of, so again, I think like you were saying, Ben, not just get back to what you're saying. I just, you know, uh, the idea is creating an environment where you can sort of, uh, comfortably fail, you know, with a reasonable expectation of improvement to come after it. So, um, not to say too many terrible things about where you came from. Though. Uh, sure. Sure. Like you've been hmm. in environments, Carla, where yeah. it, it was not a safe environment to fail. Yeah. Um, I kind of, can you think of a specific scenario where it was like, even if it was just like a small one, but it was exclusively that reprimand system and then kind of how you dealt with that? Yeah. I'm not sure if I ever, uh, had, I don't know if I've ever recorded the example. I know that I've said it a few times and I actually, I think it has come up in podcast before, but it was, yeah, it was just the, the idea. One of the first rotations that I had when I was in veterinary school is that I had essentially overslept is what it was. So I already kind of had a target on my back from a personality standpoint, uh, you know, being described as too cavalier. And that's just what my personality was. It was full blown Carlo. Um, <laughs> that's to but, say it still is yeah, by the way. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but part of it was, was that, of what I would interpret as being a very simple mistake. Um, in hindsight, I can't exclusively blame anyone other than myself because it's true. I overslept. I missed morning treatments. That definitely occurred. Um, but was like the consequence, was that really proportional? Yep. Um, you know, saying, well, I have to fail this entire rotation because I overslept once. And it's like, okay, well, I understand that that is a problem. It's failed patient care. I get that. Um, but really, you know, in hindsight, what it was is I wasn't willing to play the game. That that was what my error was. I was young. I was arrogant. And 
it was humbling to, in that circumstance to be like, okay, like if I want to, if I want to play this game appropriately, like I failed, like I got a I, I clear out, failed this rotation. Like it, there's, I, how am I going to improve on this? It's like, all right, I need to learn the rules of the game. I need to start playing the game. I need to, you know, just make my way through to the end. Cause I am almost done. I mean, yeah. my educational career up to that point was leading up for May fifth of that year May first of that year um so i mean that's at least the one like sort of in the educational setting where it was Mm -hmm. a what i would have considered being an insignificant failure had a large amount of consequence associated with it because it was essentially a reprimand type thing um but for me you know now being on the outside looking back and saying well i was pretty arrogant but you know looking back into that and saying well what if the culture was different yeah. What what if environmentally it was different? What if we had um, a system in which, you know, it, it was a, a, an education system? I mean, it was one where the, the, there aren't cultural issues, where we have a supportive environment like we do at the clinic, right? So it's I haven't shown up on time for work in the last 15 years. I just haven't. It's just who I am. <laughs> Okay. Like I never late when you're on Riolo time. (laughs) Correct. Exactly. I show up exactly when I was meant to show up. So for me, it's like, like I understand, I I don't even give excuses for it. I'm just like, this is who I am. I just got a lot of stuff that I do. Um, so, you know, but the difference is culturally, of course, now in our current setting, we have other people around us that can help support those weaknesses. Me being tardy, okay, well, we have other avenues by which patients are still served. You know, we still have a process in place that essentially allows for that to occur. So it's if that basically culture had existed in a less strict fashion in the education system where we were all a little bit more relaxed, um, that a, what I would have interpreted as being a small error wouldn't have been such a dramatic consequence, um, right. you know, in, in hindsight, because it did, it, it had significant impact on a big part of, I mean, it was the very first rotation I had. So it had a big impact on, I lost a vacation block. You know, I had a target on my back for all the other small animal rotations for the next year and a half, you know? So, um, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was tough. It was tough. So you could even take that one step further, right. And say in that exchange, you had experienced unnecessary conflict. Yeah, absolutely. Like don't absolutely acknowledge the mistake. Um, however, as a, as a portion of that, uh, exchange, it's like, okay, how far do we really have to take this? And it, and right. it went to a level of unnecessary conflict, at which point um, both sides actually are failing. Right. right. Yeah. So for, and then you can kind of turn it around and say, all right. So the uh, educational system that was a part of this extended failure, how did it fail forward? It didn't. Right. And now for yourself, it's like, well, yeah, that sucks. That was really uncomfortable. It was and honestly unnecessary. How do I now 10, 15 years later create a system where that doesn't exist? Yeah. Um, Whether it is a means of saving you from yourself (laughs) or say, you know, just giving others the opportunity um, to not have to realize that same problem. It's really just about advancing further along in some way, shape or form. And not even to say that what we do 
in in house is perfect, sure, or what um, you know the educational institution does is perfect. I think both sides, regardless, are going to have inherent flaws. Uh, yep. But it's about going forward. Yeah. It's about not just standing on well, this is the way it's always been right. done. Right. It's about how do we make this better? Uh, because uh, that that is to me a two sided failure. It's just. It, for individual reasons, own your part, yeah, absolutely. make it better. Yeah. That's what we talk about with accountability. Yeah. It's all really sources around this. Yeah. Um, Caroline, uh, in your education experience, did you have anything similar to that? I was actually thinking of two situations that occurred when I was at Iowa State. And actually, in both of those situations, like, I think – in one case, it was a pretty good example of, of fail forward and, and the clinician that was on that day, like she actually totally had my back and um, it ended up having like a decent outcome, even though it was kind of traumatic to like go through it. And then in the other case, um, I think it was more so that the surgery resident that I was with, he just, it was easier for him to not like have to go through like a formal reprimand. He basically just like, told me that I had made a mistake and then like was just like don't don't fuck this up again and then mm-hmm. that was it but so so in that situation what had happened is um I had a patient I was on small animal surgery and I had had a patient that um came in for some procedure I can't remember and they were um like very frequent clients in um in the hospital and had several patients at home And, um, I had tried to, basically I tried to save them a buck because one of the medications that they were going to go home on was tramadol. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I had asked if they had tramadol at home or I can't remember the exact circumstances, but somehow I had, they, I knew that they did have this medication at home and I was like, okay, perfect. And gave them a dose for this particular patient and whatever. And what had happened is the, the resident had discovered that the tramadol they had at home was a compounded liquid that was like four times the strength of like what typically is the milligrams per mil that is used. And he basically was like, you, you fucked this up because you didn't ask them like what the concentration was. And like, it's fine. Tramadol is a fairly safe drug, but like basically like, cause I immediately started panicking that I had overdosed this dog and he was like, well, you did, but it's still alive. And like, just basically was like, don't, don't do that again. Make sure you ask next time, like what the concentration was. And so, I mean, I guess in that scenario, like he, he kind of took responsibility for it. And I, I don't know if it was because like ultimately his, butt was on the line and not mine because I don't think anybody had like checked had checked my you know what I mean so maybe he was just protecting his own skin but I mean nothing ever I never got like formally reprimanded by my clinician or anything like that and I did okay in the rotation but I think some of it was the fact that like I was I was a large animal track student and I was basically an ant to them and didn't matter and he probably would have gotten his butt chewed out in the hierarchy scheme of things for not having like caught my error. And so he may have just, or he was, I don't know. So, I mean, like I said, in my case, it it did actually come out okay. And like, I learned from my mistake and it didn't impact me like more than it really needed to. But um, 
that was kind of an example of, where the, <laughs> of a failing yeah, the, moment for yeah. me. It was, yeah, it was a mistake where the sting wasn't too bad, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, I, I think, yeah, I, I think there's any opportunity, you know, um, as we go through our career for that, you know, um, to, to have, you know, kind of these minor mistakes and the minor mistakes of course, aren't, uh, over inflated. Right. Um, but I think as now, you know, moving forward, I just, I know now that we've had, you know, a couple cycles of students coming through, it's, I think what I, what, what I have been reminded of is what they consider to be, or what they have been led to believe is being these really significant problems aren't. Yeah. And I, I think that's what I'm reminded of with these last, you know, couple of students that have come through. Um, and I think the one that comes to mind is, uh, you know, when spaying a dog, spaying a cat, you know, we have a couple of larger vessels that we need to tie off, right? So in tying off those large vessels, the big thing is leaving a bleeder. So having an abdominal bleeder, that's always a big anxiety thing for very young surgeons is leaving a bleeder. And, um, uh, uh, Rhiannon actually, I think she had brought it up in her, yep, yeah, her podcast was just like, Oh, there was a bleeder in there. And like the whole time she was totally calm, totally collected. It was just like, all right, you know, extend your incision, pack it off with lap sponges, go down there, grab it, tie it off. We're done. She did it. Not a problem. End of it. I was like, you know, wow, you really, you really kept your shit together. Like that was, you know, that, that good for you. And she was like, I was freaking out in my head the entire time. Yeah. And I was just like, please don't say anything negative. Please don't say anything negative. Please don't say anything negative. And for me, like she said that. And I was just like, that never actually entered my brain. Right. Like I, ne yeah. I, I never, <laughs> you know, so that's what I'm saying. Like coming back to being like, Oh, you're, I, I am reminded yeah. that this is a significant problem or it's a, a problem that is minor that is passed off as being significant and the anxiety that comes with that. I was just like, Oh, I'm, I'm feeling that anxiety now, right. <laughs> you know, like I forgot that yeah. existed. It's not even like the problem was the, the biological situation. <laughs> the, the, right. the major problem is the yes. expected reaction. Thank you. Yes, it yeah. was. You are expected to freak the hell out and right. you have the expectation that someone's going to talk shit. Right. You know, and it, yeah. like, it, or jump in and fix it for you. Oh, come yeah. in and just flat rescue you. Oh, there was a there was a significant pause there yeah. where it was like, you know, I don't I don't I'd have to really think really hard on whether or not she actually asked me to help or scrub in or whatever. But I don't think I actually gave her the opportunity. She didn't ask. Yeah. I, I asked her. Yeah. 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 And it was just like, nope. You know. she, she just went radio silent was like, I just, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> yep. And it's, yeah. And I was like, I mean, I was standing there and you know, at the end of it, I was like, if I legitimately thought that you couldn't do this, I would have scrubbed in and throw a pair of gloves on and done it. But that was just simply not the case. Right. You know, right. uh, Ashley and I had one like that, I think just yesterday, yeah. um, she, uh, Ashley, she did, I think five or six procedures. Um, it was kind of the same thing. One of the animals had a complete anatomic aberration. That was insane. But there was just, she just kept getting curveballs left and right yesterday. And she's like, can I please just, can I please <laughs> just have one go normal? You know? And I was like, what better place? Yeah. You know, we're a freaking critical care center. Like, uh -huh. you know, if something actually yeah. hit the fan, like we would just dump a bunch of plasma into this patient. Right. Like, that would be a real expensive spay, but we're still getting off the table. Right. You know, it never, obviously never came to that, but yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just, you have those days. Can I just get something normal? You know? Well, and that's, 
probably the more likely reality to practicing medicine absolutely than than your textbook it never procedures yeah. oh like, yeah yeah so it's probably actually like, more effective for her yeah. to see that than yeah. the other side absolutely which <laughs> the other it's, side barely even exists <laughs> it's so funny because so in large animal medicine c-sections is a topic that comes up year after year like on the Facebook group, it's like case after case after case. It's always, I feel like not always, but a lot of times it's either an OB or a C-section gone wrong. And it was interesting because um, I went to the the AABP recent grad conference this past weekend. And the topic, one of the clinical skills topics was, again, C-sections. Tips and tricks for performing C-sections. And I think this is the third year in a row that I'm like, whatever, I, I've got nothing else going on. I'll just sit in on the C-section talk. And so I did. And I was like, it's the same tips and tricks of last year's yes. C-section talk. Yes. Because, and, and it's funny because I talked to my professor or my, my mentor from vet school who's in, in dairy. And he was like, like a C-section, like every, every C-section you do, like they suck. There's no... There is no tip or trick. Like you could do one and it could go amazingly well. And you think you finally nailed it. You finally done like a textbook C-section. And then the next one like blows up in your face. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, there's no, it, it's like she, it's like she said, could I just get one that's normal? Right. And the, the problem is like a lot of times it isn't normal. Like the animal isn't in this situation because things went normally. <laughs> Yeah. The animal is in this situation because there's something aberrant going on. Right. Like, which which is where we practice. Like, yeah, that, exactly. That's what medicine is. It's like, yeah, they're, yeah, it's never like it's a scheduled human C-section. You know, it's like, I'm going to put on my date. Right. I'm just going to go get it done. You know, it's like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we got a cow with a twisted uterus and there's twins in there. What? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. That, that was a whole that was a whole topic too is like like uterine torsions and like how to correct them and like do you yeah. do you do the C section and untwist them and then birth them normally or do you um just do the C section or and, and, and so students students like they ask all these questions but and what's the answer? It's always it depends. Right. <laughs> what what works best for you that yeah. day? That's what determines how you approach the C section. Because yeah. like I said, none of them are the same. You just learn you basically learn as many tricks and keep them in your back pocket and whatever yeah. one is appropriate for that situation is the one you pull out that day. Yeah. Well, that's the, so. that's the, but what you're touching on is the idea of failure. Like you don't yeah. get the, yeah. you, you don't get the tricks in your back pocket unless you're like, uh, without Hey, failing. exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that's where I actually became disenfranchised with continuing education to be perfectly honest. Um, because I had, you know, my thing, you know, uh, emergency and critical care symposium. I mean, it would be, uh, you know, emergency critical care journals. I mean that my whole first year to three years out of practice, um, I was just a sponge Anywhere I could get anything, I was consuming everything. Every journal article, every book, emergency books I was buying, I was reading cover to cover. I mean, it was just anything I could get. Now, at that time, uh, you know, oh, oh, so many years ago, uh, there were not as many video series, audio series. It was all in writing. They're really, I mean, Vin was very yeah. new at that time. I don't have a Vin subscription. I don't, I don't use that website. But, you know, it was just all these things from the electronic availability of information. Social media was barely existent back then. Um, YouTube, I think, just started. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, 
You're old. Yeah, I'm old. So basically, <laughs> thank, uh, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you Caroline. You. Yeah, I, sorry, I was rambling. I was rambling. Uh, so anyway, so basically, I would start to go to these CEs, right? Yeah. And I would go there, and I'd be like, okay, all right, yeah, you're exactly right. I need, I need to go to the GDV uh, talk, right? And it's just you know tips and tricks for GDVs, right? Um, and that's uh, for who doesn't know, it's uh, in dogs. The stomach distends with air and flips on itself. It's more common in deep-chested dogs. It's a surgical emergency, not necessarily a medical emergency, but there is a medical component to it. You have to fix the medical part before you can do the surgery. That's yeah. GDV, anyway. So I would go to these things. And it would be fundamentals of GDV or, you know, this and this. And it's like, it's this thing. It's this procedure. You're in school. It's like, oh my God, it's a GDV. Everyone is freaking the hell out. Everyone goes, GDV yeah. is here. It's for free. Oh my God, it's a GDV. It's a GDV. And it's like up, up to that point, I was doing, I don't know, a GDV surgery, like, I don't know, probably once every six weeks, yeah. you know, and I had been doing, you know, yeah. at, at that time I had probably 15 under my belt minimum and I'm going to all these things and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I'm like looking around the room. Now mind you, I've only been out of school like two years. Yeah. I'm looking around, I'm just like the fuck is everyone freaking out about you know it's like you know everyone's yeah. like you know it's and it's it's these it's just it's it's the experience level it's just people that have never done it they're looking for these chips and i'm looking at these slides and i was like dude he's just pulling this out of textbook blank yeah you know i'm yeah. like these aren't actually new it's have, have you guys read the book yet because i mean the book just says exactly <laughs> what this guy's saying we didn't have to sit in this room right. for an hour because it's in that book over there um and that's where like i said I, I started to find that with so many different things and i say disenfranchised with ce is really what i'm trying to get at is that it was failing with ce events yeah. and what it was boiling down to was that you know my my opportunity for learning from mistakes or my opportunity from learning from things that uh went good but didn't go great you know so it's uh, that same you know good to great right so trying to really hit high level care you still get the job done nothing dies but you're like man i feel like that could have gone better um so it's just i think the idea of failing forward is that while you may have successes, there's always an opportunity to learn from your success. And that's what we talk about right. with, with our after action review. After action reviews can be run when things go well. After actions can be run when things go poorly. So for me in maintaining that objectivity, and of course, obviously the uh, after action Ben had brought to us, so it's not like I had this tool prior, um, but I was have always been hypercritical of how I have done things. I'm like, oh, that went well, that went okay, but I think it could go better. Is that's where I make the statement that I wake up every day a failure and I end every day a champion is for me, it's like, okay, even if I had something go well today, if I really look at this with someone else's eyes, how did I not do well? How did I not do great? Um, and that's ultimately then for me when I started to then look at dissociating myself from people's reactions. So when I stopped looking at, hey, that person was really happy with what I did. I must have done a great job. And it's like, hold on a second here. Let me really analyze how I did here. Because, okay, they're fine. Uh, they're happy. Their patient went home. Yeah, good for them, whatever. Um, however, how could I have done better? Where did I actually fail that I could have gotten a little bit better? And over the years, time and time again, I would say almost exclusively, it had always come back down to communication. Yeah almost every yeah. time my medicine peaked probably three four five years out but my communication has substantially improved in the last decade yeah. um and oh, it's yeah. informed consent it's you know the confidence and talk path it's you know all the different things we talk about three costs of care and you know all these other things where it's like i've found more efficient ways to talk to people the medicine hasn't necessarily changed but the caregiver clarity has yeah well, that's uh, that all sources around being available and being affordable, though, right? right. 
Cause like that's, I think that when you go back to that GDV CE, yeah. everyone's afraid of it because they never saw it. Uh, right. Or if they did, it was like, I have to transfer this out because I can't hospitalize it <laughs> right. or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't have post-op care or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, so there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of barriers that are in a lot. And I would say a lot of instances completely unnecessary Absolutely. that are limiting their capacity to perform medicine. Yeah. Self-worth being one of them. Self-worth being one You've, it, lack of infrastructure. Yes. Right. Yes. Failed bond spectrum alignment. Antiquated we ju- business practices. <laughs> we just talked about all of these things <laughs> yeah. in a video that's coming soon. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Yes. But impact statement near you. <laughs> but it's really just like um, that the fear and the inability um, to fail forward is also yeah. sourced around the fact that you're never given the opportunity to fail. No. And and how do you get better? Like you, you peak by barrier. You don't peak by actually seeing and doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why, you know, we put so much value in having started in after hours and expanding up and out into 24 hour care and never saying no to a patient that wants to come in. Right. It's like, that's actually why don't get me wrong. There's a huge component of it. That is all about serve the patient. but man, does that make our, our medical care that much better, especially when it's reinforced with a structure that says, Establish informed consent because that's going to be that's going to mitigate any potential risk yeah. of you failing dramatic dramatically mitigate all of that yep. and then once you do that you can you can at a minimum try yes right like yeah. that's that's the first procedure that you do of mm-hmm. any like kind or quality yep. is trying the first time yeah, absolutely yeah. there there's definitely the do or do not situation if we want to get all yoda about it <laughs> but but right. it's like yeah. you are like all right i probably don't know how to do this entirely mm-hmm. but i have to try yeah and that's, yeah. you just talk yeah. about the risk. And I know that we've talked about it on the podcast a few times yeah. where you just say, here's the risk. And, and that's why, like, I think I, you know, not to say I struggle with the, the idea of fail forward in this podcast of trying to find opportunities in which I've failed. Because like I said, I am very critical of what I do, but I've never, and that's what I, that's what I have often spoke of is having a very, very lucky career um, and, a, and a f- have been very fortunate that I haven't had catastrophic medical mistakes. I haven't had catastrophic surgical mistakes. And like, honest to God, up until like probably a month ago, it, I've really been thinking hard about that because it's like, why haven't I had significant and dramatic failure? Why haven't I had a lot of these cases, you know, just you know, I'm looking in one direction and it completely goes in a different direction. And it's like, Oh, I've always practiced informed consent medicine. Yeah. Right. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I've always maintained this perspective as I'm just going to lay a hundred percent of the cards on the table. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to play Texas Hold'em and I'm just gonna have my hand open. Here it is. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm going to push all of the chips in the middle of the table. I'm going to completely lay my hand out and just be like, all right, you guys want to, want to, fucking play cards right you know so right. uh, that's why like i said i've really been thinking hard about it because i've really been trying to analyze myself and why i haven't had these really big ticket failures and it's because i've just i've always been honest and i've just always hit that informed consent and i've leaned into that if i can educate people adequately and appropriately then like we said risk mitigates it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't mean that i should i'm sorry i'm sorry the risk is there it's the failure mitigates 
So you haven't yeah. necessarily reduced the risk. You've just reduced the failure. And people mm-hmm. almost always think risk and failure go together, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, and I think that's a, a pretty substantial idea. I think a good case example, though, is the, the, the bleeder the Bernie that we had uh, four weeks ago that you actually came in on after. So the, that was a, that was an instance of, I, uh, the doctor that was on shift was like, Oh yeah. The one I, that had the uterine. Yeah. That one was insane. That, that was, was Super Bowl. Yep. So Super yes. Bowl Sunday, we had uh, a, sub, a, a substantial amount of bleeding from an area that should never experience that level of bleeding. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not one of our patients. It was a yep. it was a walk in case. It had a, a spay procedure done uh, ten to fourteen days prior. Yep. So a substantial amount of time since its procedure right. came out just exploding blood out of its vagina. Just right. a massive amount. Oh. It was very um it was truly frightening. Yes. And yes. so and the so the patient presents like relatively stable, by the way. At that point. Um yeah. and uh, our doctor who was on shift was like there, aside from, because thinking internal medicine, right? Because right. biologically, it should have never existed. No, 10 to 14 days later, right. that's where she should've, was hung up. She's like, yeah. what is going right. on? So, yeah. you know, a thought went to like a rodenticide ingestion, yeah, sure. like some sort of internal medicine yeah, problem yeah, yeah. that is like. Sat on a screwdriver. I, I don't yeah. have uh, the, the diagnostic capability to determine what is going on here yeah, because it shouldn't be something yeah. that is happening. Yes. Um, and what ended up, uh, happening was uh, the patient had destabilized. Yes. Um, and then it was like, well, I, we don't know what is happening, but we're going to go in and we're going to see if we can figure it out. Yeah. And that was the establishment of informed consents. Like, well, we got to try something right. because it's either we do this right. or, or your patient is going to be yeah. euthanized yeah. and uh, went in there, uh, found an arterial bleed in the uterus. Correct. It was, it was actually very, very bizarre. Yeah. You could tell that the, uh, whoever veterinary clinic had come from, I don't know, but anyway, um, you could tell that intraoperatively, the veterinarian had a bleeding vessel because the way the ligatures were placed, there's a very routine way that they're placed and I've done enough surgery now to know when I can find mistakes and I can look (laughs) backwards and be like, oh, this is what they had done. Um, But at that point, they basically had placed a ton of stitch in one area as consensual loops. So it had never actually done a good job of occluding the vessel. It basically was just like stacking rope on the end of a hose. Okay. So what had happened was over... Uh, the 10 to 14 day time period, the uterus had scarred over the top. So now there's like basically the balloon and then it's like the cervix, the little bit of uterus. So when the stitch finally let go off the top of the hose, essentially the hose, of course, being a, a vein a artery at this point, yeah. then just started to leak a hundred percent of arterial blood into the now closed off uterus, which then only leaked out the vagina. Right. So it's, you know, when Heather had called me at home, she's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't think this patient can refer. She's like, I'm not going to go in because I've literally have no idea what I'm going to find. And you're exactly right. I have functioned in the last 15 years on, well, it's either going to die yep. or I'm going to try and save this animal's life. Yeah. That's, that's how most of my career has gone. Yeah. So the risk was there. We knew it had destabilized. We had packed reds. We had plasma. We had all that stuff dumping in this patient. So we have the capabilities. We had the availability. We had, at least to some capacity, the affordability. But the fact was we were there. We were willing to try. The people knew the risks. My 
opportunity for failure was essentially zero. Yeah. I do nothing. The animal dies. I do something. Yep. Yeah. I could, I could actually make a significant difference. And then it was just a couple of ligatures, tie, tie. We were done. Patient was out of there and went home the next morning, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, yeah, but that's, that's an example though of like you, you knew and the caregiver knew the risk of yes. there was in there was a potential uh, failure on the table. Yes, like right. it, 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 it the was, opportunity for the failure opportunity was there. for failure was very real in yeah. that instance. Um, and it was it, you just had you, you got in front of it and said, okay, if that's the case, I'm just going to tell them that the opportunity for failure in this instance is very real. Yeah. Therefore, um, it, that once I do that then we can go ahead and just try right? because it's either yeah. that or this. Now, yeah. not every instance is dire circumstances. Uh, correct. Like yes. This, <laughs> it's a really good black and white yeah. example, but yeah. another, you know, another one. And it's, it's unfortunately one that we see relatively often would be like a splenic mass. Sure. Like there's, there's the, the, the risk or the failure, uh, it, potential failure is very real for multiple reasons. Yeah. Um, and depending on uh, the circumstance, once, you've taken another couple steps in the treatment process, you know, there's, there's a decision-making factor along that line. Yeah. And, um, you just, ha you just have to put it out there up front. You can't walk into that surgery and tell the caregiver, everything's going to be all right. We're going to remove the splenic mass and everything's yeah. going to be good. Correct. That doesn't work. Yeah. Correct. Like then you're going but, to fail. Yeah. Which I've yeah. heard doctors in practice say, but anyway, keep going, Caroline. But that's also, well, what I was going to say is, as Ben was talking, it made me realize that, like, we do this on such on a small scale version of this, like, every day. Pretty much every patient that I see that comes into the clinic that, you know, what do you do? You assess symptoms, you discuss diagnostics. Oftentimes, some level of diagnostics are declined because we don't even have an MRI or CT machine. Like, those things are obviously for referral. and most people aren't going to go to like some, some level, whatever that level may be of yeah. diagnostic. Yeah. Everyone has so a stop you point. Yeah. You ultimately come up with a treatment plan and before any patient that I see leaves the hospital, I try to give them a plan B. So oh, yeah. like if, if this treatment plan fails, what, what do we learn from that failure and what is the next step so that they feel like, this is not, you know, if this treatment plan, does, and the case that I'm thinking of is like your generic vomiting dog case. Yeah, sure. Because I feel like I see those fairly frequently and probably, you know, 60% of the time, the caregivers decide that they don't want to do diagnostics. They just want to treat symptomatically. Mm -hmm. And so I always say, this is our treatment plan. Totally like a valid treatment plan to just do, you know, some fluids to rehydrate and anti-vomiting or, you know, anti-nausea medications, go home. If treatment plan fails, if patient continues to vomit, then this is our plan B. And so I think, like you said, as long as you're acknowledging that there probably is going to be a failure of something at some point, as long as you've discussed those um, those possibilities, you're covering informed consent and, and then the caregiver, even if they have to bring their vomiting dog back in, it's like, ah, here we are again. Right. It's not like I'm pissed because blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, what so, you're referring to is, is that you're maintaining quality. 
Yeah. Is that you're yeah. still providing value. And that's where like when I have like, I mean, think about my one hour GI consults, right? So yep. for me, when I have this super long vomiting diarrhea type consultation, I tell people as I go through the informed consent on diagnostics to treatments, to dietary changes, to explore, to biopsies, to endoscopy, the whole should bang. Um, I tell people, I say, and I don't actually care what you do here. I said, right. I said my, my job is not to try to sell you an invoice. My job is not to command you to do things here. I said my sole intent of telling you and giving you this information is that we are going to reach an impasse. There's going to be a time when you either don't diet, you know, there's no more diagnostics or we're going to only do so many set treatments. I said, but it's more important to me that you know the plan. So that's what you're referring to is you're, you're maintaining yeah. quality through failure, which yeah. is not exactly an intuitive idea where it's like, yeah. oh, well, if I fail, though, that means that the quality is low and I have no value and I have a loss of self-worth and this and this and that. It's like, hold on a second here. Nope. <laughs> You're actually saying you're probably going to fail, <laughs> but we're going to try yeah. this. And if it works, huge thumbs up. Right. But if it doesn't right. work, it's one, two, three, four. You're just doing one. That doesn't mean that two, three, and four don't exist. You're just starting with one. Um, same yeah. thing diagnostically. We can do blood x-rays and urine. Do you want to do all three? You want to do just one? You want to do none? You know, well, what one should we do? Well, if you want to start with one, you should start there, but that doesn't mean that the other three aren't valid. You know, so it's, yeah. it's, it, you're exactly right. We, we do it on the micro level, the micro transaction where it's just the little bits, little bits, little bits. It's the give and take, but it's still all ultimately informed consent. Don't you think that kind of set, yeah. that sets us up to, uh, or sets you guys up as practicing veterinarians, um, to have to feel like you have to walk in the room with the right answer all the time too. Cause you've oh, got, yeah. we've got the, I'm you, the dumbest person in the room, but, the, well, but, <laughs> but you're the, you are the <laughs> anomaly, right? So let, take, take yeah. this as my, as I'm trying to correlate two different things on a cultural side, yeah. we have an environment where it's not safe to fail. Right. So between yeah. colleagues, yes. like, nope, we're going to get a finger pointed at us if we make a mistake. Well, on the other side, then if I, if I recommend the diagnostic that doesn't create the right answer, or uh, it, you actually had one come across through our review request system that was like, oh, we spent $400 on all these x-rays to find a chicken bone that he couldn't fix. He had to refer out. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I do. Endoscope, yeah. Yeah. Uh, referral. Yeah. Uh, so like. The, 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 as an example, that is one where the the actual the knowing what is not wrong yes it has actually a lot of value. But there is it's valuable because it failed. Right. But if you have yeah. a culture that says no, you can't fail. How can you be okay with having a diagnostic that proves the uh, proves a failure of what your what you think it is? Right. Like yeah. They, they, they go together, by the way, because it's a mindset. Yeah. Yep. 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 Like medicine is trial and error. Yes. That's yes. Science. Basically what it is. Yes. Yes. So, and I think it, it's just interest. It's just interesting to me because like at some level, veterinarians start to become uncomfortable with that concept. So like, like I said, we do it every day on, on the micro level, but when you get into the, you know, the splenectomies and the GDVs and the, 
you know, you get to some level of that. And then all of a sudden it's like, <gasps> Oh my God. Like <laughs> yeah. it's the see, end of the world. See, but that, and, that's funny though. Right. You know, it's like, we've, you know, it conditionally assumed that somehow surgery is like, we're supposed to have a bigger reaction to than not being able to diagnose the vomiting dog. You know, right. like I go the opposite. I don't get the diagnosis on the vomiting dog. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, but it's like, I got to go take a spleen out. I'm like, okay, shit. All right. I got blocked me off for 45 minutes. I'll get it done. You know? So yeah. <laughs> it's perspective, yeah. you know, yeah. it's funny, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I would say, you know, cause we, what we always try to wrap these up with some level of solution, uh, yeah, sure, right. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is uh, going back to where we, we started failure is, is a very real thing in any, in any profession, but especially when you are trying to find the thing that's wrong and ultimately create a solution to, to, uh, solve the problem. Um, and with that, you just have to be okay with the fact that you're going, you're going to miss. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up watching yeah. and still do watch baseball, right? It's yeah. you miss every pitch you don't swing at. Uh, right. Yeah. So just sometimes you just got to stand in the box and swing. Right. Close your eyes and hope a little bit. Right. Or sometimes in that, cause the, cause you learn the practice, you learn how to improve over time. Yeah. Your contact rate goes up, your yeah. average goes up, all that sort of good stuff. Yeah. Um, but if you never swing, you're never going to get any better. You're yeah. never going to, you're never going to get forward. You're never, you're, you have to use, the failures that uh, uh, welcome you with open arms right, <laughs> and say, right. thank you. Yeah. This is how I get better for next time. Yeah. So in our, in our profession, you know, you, you, you establish informed consent, you uh, do your best on all the procedures. You let, let people know what the risk factors are, whatever they may be, whether it is health related to the patient or your own skill sets or some variety of all of the variables between those two things. And then you just you just do your best to move forward. And yeah. then at the end of it, if you do make a mistake or somebody else around you does uh, as well, you you establish a level of forgiveness in your culture to be like, you know what, that was a mistake. Yep. And I forgive you for it because we're both here to serve the patient. Right. And now we move forward. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yes. Really. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of a good stopping point that with our, with our little snip in that puts us at roughly an hour. So, uh, Caroline, sure. I know you're kind of on a schedule. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, it's, it's always great to hear from you. Sure. No problem. Yes. <laughs> All, yes right. All right. We'll catch you next week. Do you want to, do you want to sound us off Caroline or you got to take it? Sure. Thanks for tuning in. And, uh, we'll see you next time on Tuesdays with Caroline. <laughs> Thanks Caroline. All right, Caroline. See you guys. <laughs>